Good morning again, everyone. Just a wonderful praise, Aaron. Thank you for sharing that. It's so awesome to be able to, to see the opportunities that can be before us each and every week as, as we're open to those and how God can move through us to impact others with the word. You know, as, as you think back to this week, I hope that you've had a good week, that your backs are feeling better from shoveling all that snow earlier in the week and that you're not too sore still. Um, but you know, January is always a fun month. You never know what you're going to get in terms of a ton of snow or just cold weather. But you know, this is the last day of January already. It's kind of crazy to think that the first month of this year is already gone. It's kind of, nor as normal, you know, time seems to just go by so fast. And it's hard to sit back and appreciate and be grateful for each day that you get uh, when life happens. You know, it seems that that's always the normal. If you're young, you think about what it's going to be like when you're older and can't wait to get there. And if you're older, you're thinking back and reminiscing about the glory days. And if you're in the glory days, you don't even know you're there. You're too busy to, to sit down and relax a little bit. It's kind of, kind of crazy how fast time can go. For me, I try to find the humor in a lot of situations. That's how I cope. That's how I get through life at times. Um, you know, it helps me to pass the time. And speaking of time, did you know that you can tell if a clock is hungry if it goes back four seconds? <laughs> I worked really hard to put the right emphasis on certain syllables this week just to make it a little bit mysterious. Another one that I've told a few of you, in case you didn't know, Saturday and Sunday are the strongest days of the week. All the other days are considered weekdays. <laughs> Laughter can be a cure for what ails you at times. It seems to take us back to simpler times. It takes down some of the stress or the things that are going on in our life. And it can make it feel lighter. It can lighten the mood. You know, it t think back to your childhood. What was it that made you laugh when you were young? For those of you that are still children, what is it that makes you laugh? Don't ask my children because it's, yeah. Typical boys. But you know, children, they have a sense of wonder about them. Laughter. There's books that are recorded of things that children say, um, prayers that they have to God, thoughts about God that can be humorous at times because we look at it through the eyes of a child and we look at their sense of wonder. I'd like to share a few of those with you today. This first one is from someone named Nancy. Now, I'm not sure if this was you in your childhood, but you can tell me how accurate this is. But she says, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all the whole earth. There are only four people in my family. I could never do it. <laughs> Pretty accurate. I don't know. Joyce says, God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. You can look it up. <laughs> Allison says, God, I read, I read the Bible. What does beget mean? Nobody will tell me. Dennis says, Lord, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. 
how far back do you go? <laughs> Anita asks, God, is it true that my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? A sweet one from Barbara. She says, Dear God, if you watch on church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. Norma asks, God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that, or was it an accident? <laughs> and probably one I can hear my kids saying, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other if they had their own rooms. That works for me and my brother. Children are wonderful. They bring laughter. They bring lightheartedness to many situations. Today we're going to be discussing a, a shorter passage in the Bible, a passage where Jesus says to let the children come to him. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to see the importance of childlike faith, a topic that I think can be misunderstood and overlooked, but it's one that we need to remember. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me, beginning in verse 15. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such as these, or to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to come together to dive deeper, to hear your truths each and every Sunday. I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning that you would continue to convict us with your spirit and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a shorter passage this morning, um, one that gives us a picture of what it is, uh, what to enter the kingdom of God is like. You know, a person needs to be like a child. Now, that could be a loaded statement, um, and based on how we want to define some of these terms. And that could bring some misunderstandings. So today, as we get in touch with our inner children a little bit, I want to slow down and take a good look at some of this stuff. We see in this passage, first of all, that it, it kind of sa is sandwiched between two larger sections, all dealing with the same context, with the same understanding of humility that we stressed last week. Um, this this passage here connects to the idea of humility because, I mean, how much more humble can you get than a child, right? Well, maybe we need to define that term because I've seen some pretty selfish children. I'm pretty sure I was one at some stage in my life. Um, but, you know, when we see humility, uh, in, and in, as we understand that in the sense of children, we have to understand that they are dependent upon others to meet many of their needs, in the same way, we have to understand humility in terms of how we are dependent on God to meet our needs. You know, showing that humility comes from him, or what we have comes from him, and we need to humble ourselves as we talked about last week. So this isn't a saying that 
goes by saying, you know, all children automatically just get into heaven because they're children. You know, again, we have to have that understanding that we are not saved based on groups and group association. We have that understanding with the Israelites, with you're not saved because you go to this church or a certain church or, or that kind of stuff. We are only saved by Christ. So we, we don't want to picture that all children are just automatically humble when we're understanding these terms. This passage, as it connects to this idea of humility from the, the last passage, we'll also look forward into the next passage when it talks about humility when it comes to self-sufficiency with the rich young ruler. So we want to look for that next week. But again, showing how to enter the kingdom is dependent upon God himself. Now I think it's important to also define or at least recognize the, the term childlike and comparing that to the term childish because there is a difference. Sometimes they can be confused for each other, but you know, childlike, I can be childlike when I'm down on the floor playing games with my children, but I can definitely be childish when I'm throwing a tantrum or being angry because I do not get my way. You know, childish, it has this negative connotation to it. It brings about a sense of immaturity. Um, again, like when you are throwing tantrums when you don't get your way. You're easily offended or triggered when you are challenged by somebody that has a, a different opinion. You think just because you yell, it makes you right. You know, you'd be described as being juvenile, foolish, infantile. Again, more on the negative side. Whereas childlike has more of the synonyms like trusting, pure, innocent. A behavior that tends to be more imaginative, wanting to explore, curious, um, showing respect, easily accepting of others, easy to believe. An attitude that would get up after a fall, that laughs through the hardships of life. You know, something that um, when they're living in the moment, they have this sense of awe and wonder about things where they're not overthinking things. And again, when we think of these two terms, we don't want to paint with a broad brush when we think of children, meaning not all children are childish and not all children are childlike. Um, you know, just because they're children doesn't mean that they're just going to be innocent and pure and, and respectful. If we automatically assume those, either of those things, we kind of get off on the wrong foot when we're, when we're looking at these types of situations. Now, children do have a childlike nature about them as they're learning about things of the world. Slowly over time, the world kind of takes that away, and then there's this sentiment, especially among parents, to keep that innocence, to keep that purity within our children. While at the same time, we balance that whole term of when are you going to grow up? Again, defining our terms. Just because I say for them to grow up, what does that mean to them? How do they understand that? Am I giving them that definition of what I expect of a grown-up in terms of somebody that lives in the world or grown-up in your faith, grown-up in Christ? Again, we need to be a little bit more intentional, I think, especially as parents, to define what our expectations of our children are. Because if we don't define it for them, the world's right there to define it for them. So, as we look at the passage then, a little bit of background there. We see people are bringing their children. They are bringing infants, babies, to Jesus. 
So you see a little bit younger um, definition or Greek word here being used in the other Gospels. Now, perhaps they're bringing their children um, out of more superstitious or ritualistic concerns. You know, like I just, I want Jesus to bless my child and I want them to have a better life. You know, in their minds, they've heard stories of Jesus. He's gone around, he's healed the sick. You have other things in the passages that we've already read through Luke where people say these exact things. If I only I touch his cloak, then I will be healed. You know, it, it is a desire to have this type of blessing from a rabbi. It was customary for them to do these types of things so people would go to a rabbi that they thought was good, that they thought was great to get a blessing from their children. I like to think um, the way that these people were coming to Jesus is that they've had an encounter. They have beliefs about Jesus. And you, you weigh this kind of in our understanding a little bit to where, you know, if, if you are coming to Jesus, if you're bringing your children to Jesus, it's because you understand um, this mentality of the grace that you've received and you want that same thing for your children. Okay, so if they have an understanding of who Jesus is, that he is a prophet of God, that he is somebody sent from God, they want their kids to be around that. And it, it being in youth ministry and things like that for years, you see both aspects of that type of attitude in our communities. I've had parents just drop off kids at youth group or at Awana or Sunday school or at church, and then they take off. You know, here, you fix my kids for me. You know, a church comes alongside a parent. The teaching about God starts in the home, and we just assist with that. We expand that. We give them opportunities to continue to learn, but we don't take that role of parent. And I've seen where, where people who are on fire for God bring their kids to missionary events, to, to other things, to where it's, the kids are just engrossed in that life, in that lifestyle, you know, my kids, when, when they come into a church building, they take off their shoes because they feel like they're at home and they run around like they own the place. Sometimes it's good, but other times it's why we can't have nice things. You know? so, but we see here, um, within this, they bring their children to Jesus because they believe he's the best thing for them. And, and what we see is no one is too little to come to Jesus. Now the Jews, they would be holding on to different promises that are given in the Old Testament. One of these is found in Isaiah 44, verses 3 through 5. It says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on their dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's, and the name himself, and name himself by the name of Israel. So they have this desire to be blessed by this great teacher. They understand that the promises of God are for their offspring as well, not just for them. So they've come to have their children blessed. And then we see the reaction by the disciples. Um, the disciples who would be hearing these messages of Jesus, who would have just heard this message on humility. 
You know, we see what they're doing, and we, we have to assume a little bit because we don't know necessarily their motivations. But there's some, there's some clues in here to understand their hearts and what they're doing. You know, now they could be finding themselves in a spot where they're offended here because they think of themselves in a self-important way to where, you know, these people aren't good enough for Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus, so they're keeping them away. Again, maybe Jesus needed some rest, so they're just saying no at this time. We're not sure of the motivations, but what we see here is that they rebuke the parents. A rebuke is a very strong action. It's a strong wording. It would display a lack of humility. It would display that they are trying to control access to Jesus. So we're left to believe that the disciples think that these children are a waste of time for Jesus, that he could be doing other things. Maybe they wanted that time for themselves. Again, we're not 100% sure on that. But it shows a lack of humility or understanding of Jesus' mission and purpose here. And we see that Jesus intervenes. And what I want to focus on today within this intervention is that Jesus says three things to continue to teach his disciples. Three things that we can learn from as well. First, he says, let them come to me. Jesus maybe has an interest in these children because they illustrate humility. They illustrate the humble nature in how to enter the kingdom because they are children. Things have to be done for them. They have to be brought. They have to be held as infants, as babies. But we also have to remember views on children in this culture. They're not very high. Children are seen as outcasts as well because they don't provide much value to the family. I mean, while they're children, they're not able to add anything to the income. They have, instead, they're a drain to the family's limited income and resources. It took years for them to be able to, to be raised into a trade or until they could finally be able to earn some money for the family as well. So they were looked down upon a lot of times. So within this first statement, what I see is Jesus' compassion on display for yet another maligned or outcast group. Jesus' arms are open wide for all people, no matter their age or their background. Let them come to me. None are too little or too young to bring to Christ. He shows compassion on them all. He shows compassion to an age group that's not able to return or reciprocate any of the compassion or love that is shown back. They're not able to do anything in return. Again, showing us this understanding that it is by grace and not works. Not status, not, not prestige, not giving. And this is the same type of teaching that was in last week's, this week's, and it will be in next week's as well. But we see that Jesus starts off with a sense of compassion and he invites them to come to him. He allows it. This invitation is very important for our understanding because of the second thing that he says. Second thing that he tells his disciples is to, do, to not hinder them. Do not stop someone from coming to Jesus. It seems like it's an obvious statement. We could think that that's a given. But these disciples just hindered people from coming to Jesus. 
These disciples have been following Jesus closely for years now. Maybe they're getting offended that people are going to have this close access to him, this warm embrace, and they're desiring it for themselves. Maybe they just understand that the master needs some rest. Either way, again, they are trying to control who has access to Jesus, and they deem these children unworthy. Now, what's interesting to me is, in the Greek, this is a command. This is an imperative. The disciples were forceful with their rebuke of the parents, whereas Jesus is just as forceful with this command. And I read, as I read this passage, I spent quite a bit of time in prayer on this phrase this week, reflecting on it. I mean, in my context, because I'm an ambassador for Christ, because I'm a pastor, how have I hindered people from coming to Jesus? Whether it was a little child, whether it was somebody that was older in the faith, but, or older in age, but younger in the faith, whether it was somebody that was just seeking to learn more about Jesus, how have I controlled that access? How have I said no? And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not locking the doors and telling people that they can't come into church, but I've definitely done things, said things that I'm not proud of in my life. And when it comes to this issue in terms of hindering those to come to Christ, it's some of those things that I've said that I deeply regret and ask forgiveness for. There are times that I know that because of what I said or did, that there are people who hate God or the church. They were perhaps interested in seeking God, but I took the ridiculous attitude that they needed to clean up their act a little bit before they could come to God. Again, controlling who could come in. Or maybe I quenched somebody's spirit who was on fire for God with some legalistic means. Again, I may have been in the right. But the way that I went about it, the things that I said, absolutely crushed this person. There are other times that I'm not sure of, that maybe I don't know what I did or in the moment that what I was doing. But as I've prayed, the Spirit has convicted me of those things. And the opposite is true just as well. Where based on what I've said or done, people have been drawn closer to the Lord. Things that maybe I intentionally know about or don't know about that I'll hear about two years later. This one time when you prayed this, it really impacted me. And what this shows us is that people are always watching. People are always listening. And as ambassadors for Christ, we need to understand this. This command made me stop in my tracks this week. Made me reflect on my life. So many times we can read through a short passage like this and read right over things like that. We think that we've got it and we move on. But this command stuck out to me this time. You know, God has things sorted out. He doesn't need my two cents just like he didn't need the disciples' two cents. 
Let them come to him unhindered. He does the work, not me, not you. We are a means by which God uses a vessel for his kingdom work to be done. Lastly, he says, for to such belong the kingdom of God. In a literal look at the Greek, it's for to such as these is the kingdom of God. Now with this statement, the teaching point that's backed up in the following verse, it says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And you have the truly, you have the amen right there, and I just need to begin stressing that, that this means listen up, so be what I'm about to say. It's not any type of gendered language or anything like that. But you know, I, I think that we need to continue to make sure we understand and define our terms as the goalposts seem to continue to shift as the world wants to croach in on these types of things. But as he says, to enter the kingdom of God, we must be like children. Childlike, not childish. Children who receive rather than provide. Children who give us good examples of humility when it comes to that sense. They will have trust and honesty. They would have an absence of a, a holier-than-thou attitude. They have a propensity to believe what is being told to them. Now the use of kingdom of God here. I think that there's a fine line between the understanding of the, the presence of, of God right there in their midst and the kingdom to come. But a childlike quality is needed. And Jesus continues to preach and teach to his disciples about the humility of this way. I want to point out again here what Jesus is saying. He invites the children to come to him. It's his invitation. He is the initiator. Even if we back it up and look at how the parents are bringing their children to him, they are only bringing because of some other revelation. God is the initiator. They could have heard the stories, but he welcomes all from all walks of life to come to him. Those that are his followers, we are to not hinder those that would be invited. He then says that they need to receive the kingdom like a child. You think of the term receive. Receiving is like a gift. You receive a gift, a gift that is given by God. So receiving the kingdom would stand for receiving the message and the messenger. It is received by faith, receiving the spirit. I think this receiving goes back to when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And he says when you come to a house and they receive you, your spirit will come upon them. Stay with them. But if they do not receive you, shake the dust from your clothes and your spirit will depart with you. Receiving in this context would then also include receiving the gospel message, hearing the word of God, hearing the truth. To have childlike faith includes the qualities that we've talked about in terms of humility, believing, honesty, and even as we list, list off these qualities, I think it is something that we just, we recognize it when we see it. We understand these types of things. We understand when somebody has a childlike nature, something that's ingrained in us. And we could be a good judge of character when we see that. And like last week, when I had you look around the room and, and look deeper at one another, 
when we look around the room at each other, do we see childlike qualities? You know, most times when we look at each other, we come in and we're weathered from the week and the stresses. We're beaten up from the things of this world. And we breathe a, a heavy breath when we come in. Like, okay, I made it. I'm back. And we come and we get rejuvenated by the word, by each other, through our fellowship. Now, some weeks we come in and we have a smile on our face that's a mask. Something that says, okay, I'm fine. I'm okay. Don't ask anymore. But, you know, as we continue to look at one another, as we continue to have this fellowship as believers and become more united, we begin to see each other for who we are. We begin to open up with one another. We begin to understand that when we come here, we come here to receive God. We come here to understand that this is just a building, but that Christ is in each one of us. And we sharpen one another with the truth, with the word of God. You know, we think about what we heard in Sunday school this morning. It's very convicting. Understanding the word of God and how it needs to impact our lives. Again, my goal as a pastor is to continue to break down some of these walls that we have up so that the compassion and love of Christ can shine through, can speak in to these hurts and these pains of the world. Our connection with one another is very important to understand how we can build each other up in the faith. Because when we go out into this world, it's hard, it's tough, it's draining. It takes from us. And we need to be filled with the word. We need to be filled with the spirit. And we need one another to hold us accountable. It's an awesome task to serve God. It's one that we're all called to do as Christians, as disciples, as believers. That when we go into this world, we take the kingdom of God with us. We take his words so that no matter where we go, we have the opportunities to share his truth. Even amid all the stress and the pain of the world, we have the joy of his word in our hearts. We have his peace through his spirit. And my prayer for you this week is to be more childlike in your faith. Not childish. Childlike. There's a difference, and it's important. I think that the world has enough childish behaviors out there. It's time as Christians for us to stand up and take that childlike nature to a broken and hurting world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel message. And I seek forgiveness for the times that I have tried to complicate it. Where I've tried to get in the way. Or maybe I've tried to control who can come to you and who can't. Lord, your, op your arms are open for all. I'm so grateful for that. Lord, you have tasked your church to be a means to take your word to the ends of the earth. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand our faith enough that we know that importance. Lord, we look around us and we see the hurt, we see the pain, we see the brokenness in this world. Lord, sometimes, sometimes like the paralytic, people are not able to come. So many times in the Bible, it is the church that is called to go. We should not be expecting that people will just come through our doors, but we should be expecting that we should be going and we should take your word wherever it is that you take us through the week. So I pray for opportunities this week. I pray for our coworkers and our family members, the random people we might see in a grocery store. Lord, help them to have eyes to see our childlike natures as a means to draw them in to hear your truth. Lord, in a day and age where we have to have masks on in public places, it's hard to see someone smile. But Lord, if we're able, I pray that your light would shine through our smiles this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.